welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA Podcast, episode number 87. Mm. It's Wednesday. We're midway through the week. Your host, as always, Noah B. and Dominic Salee. This episode's just a bit extra special, ain't it, Dom? Oh, I mean, as always, especially after not getting to do the episode last week, we get to do back-to-back Wednesday special episodes now. Both fantastic one-off ideas, and that's going to what makes it more fun for me. This is going to be cool. Neither part of a series, but truly just special. Yeah, that's that's really what we're trying to do here with these special episodes. You know, that was the whole reason for kind of giving us those weeks in between was we we kind of wanted more time to, to think. Yeah, you know, we don't want to run. You know, we don't want to be forced into making an episode yeah. a week when we just don't have an idea. Um, we want these episodes to feel different and unique be, in their yeah, own way. Unique, special. That's the whole reason why we say like just a bit extra special. So, and I think we have a great opportunity cool. for that here. You yeah. know, we've been doing a lot of series, and I love all of those. And yeah, I love being able to go back to those. You know, time after time. But <clears throat> this is a one-off here that I'm really happy with. Yeah. So <clears throat> last week, you know, as as you guys are probably aware. The UFC's official sponsor for their fight kits has changed, or I guess their whole apparel line outside, sponsor, of, the shoes. outside of shoes has changed from Reebok, who was kind of their first exclusive, exclusive sponsor, yeah. to now it is with Venom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since it is kind of a big deal, Dom was really pushing with me, like the idea of doing some sort of special episode that revolved around this kind of change. And we brainstormed a little bit, and I think we came with a really good topic that Mm -hmm. feels relevant to what we're going through right now, and that's to look back at the top moments of the UFC Reebok era. Yes. Ranging ranging from UFC 189 to UFC 260. So it's about five years or so. A lot has happened in that time. And really, this is tailor-made for us because this is the era where we really dove into the ufc yeah at least in a more passionate way right? yeah especially for you so yeah i mean i'm just kind of ready to get in here but let's do it so we're each we're each given a top five yeah we each have our own list and we're gonna <coughs> go chronologically on our list yeah so like kind of the time period yeah yeah so, who starts it off though that's the question i'll start okay and the reason I'm going to start is because my first pick, my first top moment of the UFC Reebok era is the first event of the UFC Reebok era. It's UFC 189. There's two big reasons why this has got to be in my top moments of this era. First off, your co-main event. Yeah. Obviously, it's all subjective. And if you ask people, what's your favorite MMA or UFC fight of all time? You might get a million different answers. But the kind of accepted, I guess, what I would say the slightest majority would pick has got to be Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald for the UFC welterweight belt at UFC 189 in the co-main event. What a fight. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this fight before in greater detail, but it's my favorite UFC fight of all time. It, uh, yeah. An absolute war. A fight that starts off slow, and then when you get to round, end of round two, round three... It's just chaotic. It's back and forth. Um, you just see these guys brutalizing each other. Their careers were shortened. Oh, yeah. Their 
their primes were shortened, the their ceilings were lowered mm-hmm. because of this fight, and it's so brutal. But to see when round five starts, you got Robbie Lawler with the cut lip, yeah, uh, the split lip, I should say, and you know he's just like they just stare at yeah, each other. Stare at the end of round four when yeah. Big John steps Neither in. Neither guy wanted to give way. Yeah, and you know for Rory to when he loses his fight, you know debatably was probably winning the fight mm-hmm. if he could at least finish round five. But quickly in round five, gets hit with a shot that completely just destroys his nose, his nose. And he just drops. And it's not even a drop from, like, he, he didn't get knocked, knocked out. out. It was literally pain, pain and exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's all the makings of what we love about the, the barbaric side of the yeah, sport. Yeah. Kind of the weirdly beautiful side of the sport where you just see these two guys that wanted – one thing so badly that they took each other to the brink of... It was the definition of, like, leaving it all in the octagon. It was the pain threshold, absolute max. Yeah. That a human body can withstand. So that's one reason. <laughs> Second reason has got to be the main event, which was originally going to be Jose Aldo defending his UFC featherweight belt against Conor McGregor. Jose has to step out. In comes Chad Mendez who had fought for the belt multiple times before. So now it's an interim title belt fight. Conor McGregor, first time main eventing a pay-per-view. Chad Mendez, not necessarily the guy that, you know, great fighter, but not necessarily the reason why you're going to buy this pay-per-view. You know? Right. And to see Conor not only, I guess, live up to those expectations, like to be able to carry a show on his back, but to win the fight... A prove lot of a, adversity, too. Prove a lot of doubters wrong that really thought that, you know, Chad Mendez was kind of the style that people thought would be the the playbook. And to it take showed down. a little bit. It did. Early in round one and everything, you know, all of round one, really, for the most part, Mendez won the round. But Connor comes back, finishes the fight, and obviously the rocket got attached yeah, to him. Yeah, exactly. He would go to greater heights, but... This was such a monumental night because, yeah, you're debuting the Reebok kits, and I know that that's a controversial <laughs> topic in itself, but it felt like a victory lap for the UFC. Yeah. Like they had, they had really that was huge from an organizational level. point, yeah, standpoint. So those those have got to be my reasons, and it birthed really the biggest star the sport has ever seen, and probably will ever see for a long time. Yeah, I love that. So my first one. And it doesn't come too far after, uh, you know, your point there with 189. And that is the beginning of the McGregor and Diaz rivalry. Nice. So, just really one of the best rivalries that we've ever seen in UFC history. Two of the top stars uh, in UFC history. As we all know, the first bout happening at UFC 196... Uh, that was, of course, supposed to be Connor moving up to become champ champ after defeating Jose Aldo at 194 was when he knocked out Jose Aldo. Yep. So a short notice fight, or a quick turnaround fight, I should say, for Connor to fight Rafael dos Anjos. As we all know, RDA drops out of that fight with a broken foot in steps Nate Diaz after his insane call out on national television on Fox, uh, saying that Connor McGregor has taken everything that he's worked for. And then, little do we know, he takes this fight with McGregor. And not only does he take the fight on short notice, 
and they fight at 170 pounds. <clears throat> he shocked the world by mm-hmm. beating Conor McGregor via rear naked choke in the second round with four or four minutes into the second round. Absolute scenes. The world, as we knew it, had come to a halt when that happened. It was truly mind-blowing, and it was really one of those moments where the UFC felt so much more mainstream than what it is. It was just massive. I remember just the Twitterverse and everything going nuts because Conor McGregor was looked at as this unstoppable force. What he had done in the well, UFC Especially was, after he beat oh, Alder yeah. the way he did. He was like, who was going to beat 10 that years. Guy. Yeah. And he was just on a freight train. Like Noah said, they strapped the rocket to him when he beat Mendez. And uh, freaking Diaz got a rocket strapped to him here on this night. Uh, became the quote-unquote needle mover, as we like to talk about all the time. This, of course, leads into the rematch at UFC 202 in, uh, what was that, uh, August Seth, of, It was like August, August of 2016. Of yeah, August of 16, the rematch. And uh, they go to an absolute five-round war, one of the best fights we've ever seen. Noah and I's first time, as we always like to say, at beat-ups yep. here in Bowling Green where we mm-hmm. went to school. So just absolute scenes. And this, this oh, of course, Connor takes it, by the way. So they're tied 1-1. One we of the look, best fights of all time, One of the best too. fights like, of all time. Seriously, I mean... You make such a good point about this rivalry. When I first started watching, this rivalry was the had taken the entire yeah. sport by the balls, essentially. Yeah. I mean, this, it was massive. And, you know, it's kind of a crazy we never saw the third fight. Yeah, I was just about to say, five years, or nearly five years come this August with still no trilogy. you got to think it's in the pipeline for the future. Just maybe. Maybe. But I mean... Yeah. Now we've got Connor with a trilogy with Dustin Poirier, maybe, and we've got freaking Diaz fighting Leon Edwards in a five-round <laughs> co-main event, non-title fight. Yeah. It's just... Absolutely crazy where these guys have went since then, but this rivalry, truly one of the best rivalries in UFC history, and definitely one of, if not the best rivalries during the UFC Reebok era, and it's still not over yet. Oh, that's a great pick. It's a great pick. You know, it's it, it makes sense for us that we both have like a Connor. Yeah, of course. He, he is the most defining star of the era, you yeah. have to say. So it's only right to kind of, he's on here somewhere in some way, right? Yes. So my number two, um, kind of in the same timeline that you're throwing, uh, but mine's going to be around UFC 205. That's not my pick, though. It's the state of New York becoming the 50th state to legalize professional MMA. Well, you sly dog. Yeah. <laughs> I have the same thing, so this is oh, going to really? be perfect. You have the same that thing. That was my next okay. point. So this, this is tailored around UFC 205, but the event itself is not. It's just the act of MMA becoming legal. In the state of New York, New York, UFC had held an event in New York back in 1995. Uh, UFC 7 was held there, the brawl in Buffalo. Shortly after this event, though, um, the state of New York would deem mixed martial arts illegal in the state, professional MMA, I should say. Um, So it would take two decades. Literally 2016 is when the legislation got passed to to legalize it. Um, so two decades, significant lobbying to pass legislation to allow the sport to be held in mm-hmm. the state. Um, they would not hold another event in the state until UFC 205 in New York City 21 years later. Yeah. So a huge deal because, yeah, it's the 50th state. So every state by this point had came to their senses and allowed uh, the sport back in. But... You know, it felt like kind of the final pin 
dropping that's like, all right, the stigma is worn off. We can now respect the the art, the beauty behind the sport and not just look at it as like this barbaric and uh, kill or be killed kind of, I guess, show it might have been presented mm-hmm. as, you know, at the time it was uh, being deemed illegal. Um, yeah, the did human cockfighting. Yeah, did you, you know? want to kind of continue on? Yeah, I mean, I'll just piggyback directly. <clears throat> so I had written UFC 205 plus, you know, the legalization of MMA in New York. So as Noah alluded to, obviously it got legalized in the state of New York in 2016. And I guess to directly relate that to UFC 205, Madison Square Garden, the mecca the arena of all arenas where some of the greatest sporting events, concerts, shows, performances, performers, you name it, you know you've made it when you are at Madison Square Garden. And for the UFC to come out, MMA to become legalized in 2016 and have their first show at the Garden, three championship fights, headline Conor McGregor, Eddie Alvarez, Conor becoming the champ champ and still to this day the best performance I think Connor's ever had one of the uh, best title winning performances yes. you'll ever see we have the fantastic first fight between Woodley and Thompson Beautiful. unbelievable fought to a awesome. draw awesome fight second fight didn't quite live up to it but we're talking about 205 yeah, right of course Joanna and Karolina Kovalkiewicz both from Poland and both were undefeated at that time that, that was, was a also, huge it women's was. title and it was fight. a great fight too a very under very overlooked yes fight. especially to this day because it was huge then. It just didn't get the respect. You know, of course, uh, overshadowed yeah. when and you're on a Women's card. MMA has definitely taken a big Leaps step Leaps and bounds since then. Since then. But this fight really felt like a just a very competitive. Yeah. And, you know, the techniques of both these women. Yeah. Just both women at the top of their game. And Joanna showing once again why she was the queen. The queen. You had Romero with the nasty flying <sighs> knee over Chris Weidman that looked like a scary movie after that the was, fact. <sighs> And that was also Misha Tate's retirement fight, quote-unquote, even though she's back now, (laughs) five years later. (laughs) So that just shows more on the women's side of sports for the MMA. But uh, yeah, UFC 205, absolute scenes. It was so cool witnessing just that piece of history. And to relate it directly to Reebok... They had those sweet silver and silver and like platinum trunks. Yeah, I forgot about for that. For the debut yeah, in I, New York I, I City. I forget about that. So if we want to sprinkle in a little Reebok here and there, yeah. they had the sweet fight kits for that night to be special in relation to being in New York City, man. And it just felt like a very special night for the UFC and just for MMA, the sport as a whole. It was unbelievable. And now to this day, we see great fights in New York City, huge pay-per-view cards, fight nights even. We have... Cards in Buffalo that even had pay-per-views. Uh, UFC 208. Not that it was a great pay-per-view, but it was in Buffalo. So a lot of great fights and many more still to come in New York City post-COVID. Yeah, no, that's really well said. Um, another thing that kind of helps UFC 205 in our memory has got to be, you compare it to like five months previous, UFC 200, everything went wrong with that event. All the yeah. top fights falling out. Uh, fighters falling out, you know, John Jones, you had the rematch between Connor and uh, Nate was originally supposed supposed to be on there. That fell out. So then Daniel Cormier is supposed to fight John Jones in their rematch. John Jones test positive the day before. In comes Anderson Silva. Then you got Brock Lesnar on there. 
just a mess of a card. But everything goes right for 205. Everything sticks together for the most part, and it, it caps off with the first simultaneous two-division weight champion in UFC history. Yeah. Which is a mouthful, but it's a big deal. Oh, it's a huge Even though, Connor, you know, one of the, I guess, the 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 nicks, the, the dings you can kind of throw at him yeah. if you're talking about his legacy is he never defended a belt. Yeah. But he did win both belts in two different weight classes and held them at the same time. I mean, how can you... Yeah, I know he didn't defend and that does hold him back, but just the fact that he won those... And at that time, people were even thinking this guy could win the welterweight belt. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible just in its own right. And that's forever going to be probably the most defining part of his legacy is going to be sure. that, that. Holding up those two belts at the same time on that cage was something special. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, that just directly relates to my next point. Okay. The champ champ era. Oh, all right, all right. I did Begun. Not, I, mean, I did not do. I did not have this with UFC 205 that night, as Noah alluded to. The Conor McGregor win over Eddie Alvarez again, one of the best title fight uh, victories you'll ever see, and still to this day, like I said, the best performance I think we've ever seen from Conor uh, through and through. But it's not just Conor, all right. We've had champ champs in the past, but not simultaneous. And this is when that era started here with Reebok at UFC 205. Conor McGregor does it first, but he's not the only one. Of course, we have Daniel Cormier goes on to do it, gets the second belt in 2018 when he knocks out Stipe Miocic, of course, has the legendary trilogy fight with him, of course, was also the ruler of light heavyweight. Him and Jones, of course, the only two champions in that division for nearly a decade, and uh, now, of course, retired and off into the sunset doing huge things with Helwani on ESPN, and he's commentating fights. Daniel Cormier, a legend in his own right. The greatest female fighter of all time, Amanda Nunes. Arguably shocks the world. I will say, myself and JP, if you're (laughs) listening, we called it. She knocks out Chris Cyborg to become the champ champ. What a moment. The way she did it, too. Unbelievable at UFC 232. Also happened in 2018. Man, and you just look at Amanda now. She's ruled both these divisions for so long on such an insane streak, and her resume in women's MMA, and really all of MMA, is nearly untouchable. When you look at the list of names that she's not only defeated, but absolutely just dismantled people, it's truly special. And when she became the champ champ, that's when she became known as the GOAT, but it's only become levels above since she beat cyborg in my opinion she truly is a superstar in the sport people tune in to watch her fight and is she gonna lose is she gonna win how is she gonna win how is she gonna lose truly legendary stuff so amanda nunez don't forget about henry cejudo (laughs) on the very or no yes no defends the belt against tj when tj drops down weight class the first card on espn plus his next fight Moves up to 135 and beats Marlon Marais to become champ champ after facing heavy adversity in the first round. Mm-hmm. And you're a big Triple C guy. Oh, I am. You like the King of Cringe. I, I stand by that when it comes to combat sports as a whole, I think he's the best combat sports athlete of all time since he's also an, an Olympic, Olympic gold, gold medalist, medalist, as he likes to remind everybody. But you're right. I mean, his is probably outside of, I mean, Amanda's probably the the has the best run of being champ champ. Considering right. she's still holding both 
only thing that might knock her down is that the women's featherweight division isn't really. It's just one fight. It's just kind of one fight. It's not really a division. It's kind of a lot of bantamweights going up for a fight, you know. But for Henry, he wins over one of the best fighters of all time, Demetrius Johnson. Razor thin, close decision. Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't think he won that fight. I thought he did. But he goes on and defends against the Bantamweight champion going down to try to become champ champ, TJ Dillashaw. And that fight was so massive. There was so much hype around that It was fight. the first main event on an ESPN show. They put that title fight on an ESPN show. Like yeah. It definitely spoke to how big that fight was. Henry starches him yeah. inside of a minute. 32 seconds. And I then believe. he goes up, as you said, to Bantamweight. TJ pops for uh, PEDs. So he goes up to fight uh, Marlon Marais yep. for the vacant Bantamweight belt. Wins that after overcoming adversity in the first round. And then goes on. But a little, maybe a year later or so to defend yeah. that Bantamweight belt against Dominic Cruz. So his legacy has got to be up there when it comes to defending both belts. Yeah. You know, he, he did it with both. It's and, cool to see that, no, there's only been four simultaneous champ champs. Three of them have defended in both respective weight yeah. classes. DC, don't forget, he fought Derek Lewis. <laughs> a lot of people yeah, forget that fight happened. True. But that was his heavyweight title defense before he lost it to Stipe mm-hmm. in their rematch. Of course, Amanda, no one's done it quite like Amanda in terms yeah. of bouncing Agreed. back and forth. Agreed. And then, like you said, Cejudo, of course, defended against TJ, went up to Bantamweight, won the title, defended the title, rid off into the sunset and, and If you're talking that. about champ-champ era, there's even the attempts that didn't, that's where Succeed. I was going next. Okay, so yeah. TJ Dillashaw. Yeah. Um, the other sticking out to me would be... Israel Adesanya. Just recently, yeah. um, Max Holloway went up for the yes, interim belt. The interim but, belt against Dustin. Um, you've seen these attempts that didn't quite go that way. But, it, I mean, this, it's all encompassing this era. If one of those fights goes their way, they're in this discussion with these other four guys. Yeah, and I'm by no means saying that, okay, the Reebok era ended, so <clears> did the Champ Champ era. But it really became so prominent then. Because like I said, we've seen a few people in the past win belts in two weight classes, but never at the same time, never defending back and forth. Now, it's just such a common theme, at least with people attempting to do it. It is beginning to slow a tad bit, especially when you see a guy like Izzy lose. Yeah. However, we might be seeing John Jones come back up, but he wouldn't be a champ champ, I guess. So yeah, it's, it's he would a little be, less He now. would be a champ champ. As much as Randy Couture and right. BJ Penn exactly. are champ champs. You know, those guys that won belts in two different weight classes but did it at different times. So as it started to get a little overplayed, it's beginning to slow a little bit and you're starting to recognize, okay, these four fighters truly in a league of their own in terms of history and what they did. Well, that's a really good point that, you know, I remember since we experienced that we, we were watching during that time, and it, it did get a little annoying, the yeah. amount of people that it felt like were trying to go for champ champ. And if it the felt fights like, weren't it felt like booked, it was, people were just talking it, about it. It just felt it. like it was being watered down a little bit. Yeah. But now that we have kind of, like you said, it's slowed down a little and bit. And you've seen a few fail to yeah. do it. Now you look back and you go, I, I, I can learn to appreciate yeah. the people who were able to succeed. Yeah, exactly. It's well and, said. You know, but again... It's not going to be everybody's favorite era. (laughs) A lot of people are not fans of it. And I'd be lying if I said that I loved, you know, every time it felt like a guy was winning a belt, they were talking about going up a weight class to fight the champion. You you were like, oh, no, I want to see you fight 
the next contender in your own weight class. And that that's why I think it's so special with what Amanda's doing because she's yeah. not holding up divisions. She's literally going back and forth perfectly. And uh, that a run like Amanda has between two belts, multiple defenses at the same time, we may never see something like this yeah. again, or at least for a long time. So, yeah, the Champ Champ era, the beginning of the Champ Champ era. So my number three is going to fall in line with the uh, Triple C timeline, the mm. Cejudo timeline. Uh, the UFC's moved the ESPN. Yeah, yeah. So in beginning of 2018, UFC would officially move from Fox to ESPN. Um, they would hold the exclusive broadcast rights. And not only that, the UFC switched from being kind of that traditional pay-per-view to holding all their pay-per-views through the ESPN Plus yeah, streaming service. Yeah, subscription service. So it was a massive deal. And, you know, Fox in itself was Was huge, deal. exactly. Because UFC had been on Spike TV for a while. That's where they started the Ultimate Fighter yeah. and started having some fight nights on there. But when they went to Fox, that was a huge step up. Yes. Because now it's like, okay, there's some legitimacy. Mainstream. Mainstream. But They're getting, you to, know, the shows on Fox, the pre-fights, yeah. the post-fights. Right. And to me, though, moving to ESPN was That's just, like again, raising level. the bar. Yeah, exactly. The worldwide leader in sports for a reason. Yeah. Fox is great. Don't get me wrong. Don't want to act like it ain't a big deal right. being on there. But It's ESPN, you know. To me, being on ESPN means you've made it. Yeah. You know, that means that you are in the elite sports of the world. You know, it, every sport you can think of that's relevant has been on ESPN. And, you know, this is more recent, but ABC is included in that. Yeah, true. ABC Network, being on network television is a huge deal. And now we've had two events in 2021 held on ABC. And it doesn't look like they're going to be slowing down that anytime soon. With the soon. two great cards they've had, it's hard to say they will, you know. And, you know, there's probably not much, there's not really much more I can say about the topic, but it's just the fact that, to me, I can, you know, ESPN Plus, $5 a month, and I get four, well, three fight cards a month, and then I Plus buy a pay-per-view, pay, and then you buy a pay-per-view, like... And, you know, all the exclusive things that are on there. It's yes. essentially like another version of Fight Pass. Yeah. They have their own fight library, the Daniel Cormier detail show, yeah. uh, just very cool things, and... As Noah said, it means you're more mainstream when you hit ESPN, but it also means ESPN is looking at the sport of MMA as like, okay, this is for real, this is legitimate, and worth our investment this is, to put you on our platform. ESPN wouldn't have touched MMA 20 years no. ago. So to see it now... Even 10 years ago. To see it now pride itself, when you get on ESPN Plus front page, you're always seeing, buy the UFC 260 this weekend or yeah. whatever, and... And we um, see, you know, the the journalists that work for ESPN MMA and how big their platforms are getting in such a short amount of time. And like I said, the podcast shows with Ariel and DC and all these things, all it is doing is getting more eyes onto the sport we love. So, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great one to list. You want to go next? I guess it would be my turn. Yep. So my number four, ladies and gentlemen, if you know <clears> me, you should have known this was coming. The birth of Dana White's Contender Series. I honestly didn't even think about this one. That's I mean, a, it's a great one. How can you not love this? Started, of course, on Fight Pass in 2017 already. Going to be four years old this summer, and now exclusively on ESPN Plus. Can't wait for it to return this year. But man, it's just 
the Ultimate Fighter was so big for so long, and the reality TV series, and just the drama, and how it would always play out. But the Contender Series, man, feels so raw and pure. And you get these regional fighters truly auditioning one fight. You get one chance, yeah. as Eminem would say. But, you know, <laughs> you get one shot, one opportunity, and they they bring it all. And literally. You're pushed to finish fights because if you win a decision, <coughs> you might not get your contract. So it really brings out the best of these young up-and-coming talents. And the fighters that this show has given us just in the past few years, the Macy Barbers, the Dan Ige's, the Impa Kasagane's, the list goes on and on. Uh, people like Alex Perez challenging yeah. for titles. And it's just going to keep O'Malley. Get, Sean O'Malley, a superstar. I mean, it's literally just going to keep getting better and better. And they bring these fighters out there, and there's, you know, 50 people in the crowd, just their family. It feels so like you're watching a local show, but no, you win this fight, you win it convincingly, you're going to the big leagues. It really is so special. I'm such a huge advocate of the Contender Series. I We've talked about it on This or That, how, you know, I'm more of a fan of the Contender Series than Tough, being that Tough is that reality type of show, yeah. but this is legitimate just real and they do the great pieces on their lives and everything so yeah man i love the contender series returning this summer i can't wait for it and uh yeah tuesday nights i mean what what better do you have to do on a tuesday night you get to watch some fights Come I, on, i know that um when we would you would recap i can't wait to start doing them again yeah and now hopefully considering i'm not driving an hour 20 minutes to yeah. and back from work Hopefully, I'll be able to catch some of those as well. Oh man! I know that I, you know, you were the one that would. You you are the the Tuesday night contender yes, guy. Yes. But Give me a I shirt. do love I love the the, the concept. The, what I, the concept. And really, yeah. what I love most about it is even though the Ultimate Fighter is returning, and I'm excited about it. The Ultimate Fighter as a concept was so revolutionary for UFC. You, know, it was the reason it really held the UFC together for yeah. a, a long time. Um, obviously, it kind of wore out its welcome, and yeah. that's more because reality television has sort of wore off exactly. its shine yeah, yeah. over the years. So the the UFC, being the intelligent business they are, mm-hmm. see that, yeah. and they go, right. how can we get these local young prospects on television and get people to care about them? But, you know, because the Ultimate Fighter's ratings have been slagging, mm-hmm. That's what birthed the Tuesday Night Contender. And it's, in my opinion, it took the foundation of the Ultimate Fighter, what it was really about, and just heightened it. Yes. And, you know, you look at some of the faults with the Ultimate Fighter. Having these guys cut weight and fight multiple times within a a month and a half. Two months. And now you're having guys prepare for, like, a They have a fight camp. And then you're on a five fight card. Yes. And you get those little clips, those highlight clips that talk about their lives yeah, you, and stuff yeah um it's one night and dana even says he's like i don't know anything about these guys when i walk in and then afterwards based on how they do there yeah that tells me what i need to know yeah and you know he comes on at the end of the show all five fights have concluded every <laughs> all the winners are sitting in a room and they're just waiting yeah. is he gonna say my name am i gonna get the contract it, it's, it's like just on the so, edge of your seat yeah it really is awesome and it forces these fighters to bring out the best and i think that's what you want you know, like Noah said, they get full fight camps. They get time to prepare, and they're coming up. Now, granted, they might be fighting in front of less people because it's at the Apex, 
but they're fighting in front of so many more eyes watching at home. Yeah. When they're fighting on the regional scene, they don't get that. So I love everything about the Contender Series. Cannot wait for it to start up again. Had to be in my top moments of the Reebok era. Oh, I, I love that one. I completely overlooked it. My number four. Mm. This, in my opinion, I, I wouldn't rank these in importance, but this, in my opinion, might be the most important. Okay. So it's a little bit, I guess, cheating because these are I, – I consider these uh, to go hand-in-hand, hand, but they were started at two different times. And that's the UFC Performance Institute and mm. the UFC Apex. Yeah, I love this. So yeah. Performance Institute started in 2017, and then the Apex was 2019. Um, this has been probably the best decision the UFC has made since the Ultimate Especially Fighter. the Apex with this past year yeah, with COVID. That's, that's the big reason. So the Performance Institute, you have all these fighters that you can fly into Vegas that can be put into fight camps through... The UFC staff, you have nutritionists on site, all these different gyms. Yeah, I mean, we've seen literally people take their coaches from the gyms that they live at, wherever, bring them into Vegas and live in Vegas for 10 weeks and train out of the PI for their fight camp. Well, because it's the highest level of everything. Care, athlete care. And and, and it's it's been revolutionary for many fighters. Francis Ngannou has been training there a lot. And with people that, you know, have struggled to cut weight, very big with them because of the sports nutritionist. I like that you pointed that out. Uh, But then the Apex is going to be probably the bigger one here. Um, Dana has even said this. I think the Apex is probably the most genius decision the UFC has made since (laughs) the Ultimate Fighter, which saved the company. So, you know. (laughs) Because the Apex was really just meant to be for stuff like Tuesday Night Contender. Yeah. And now... And they'll do the Ultimate Fighter there. Yeah. However, <laughs> when COVID happened and yeah. you couldn't have shows in these big arenas, you couldn't sell out crowds, the UFC is now become the second most hosted uh, venue yeah. for UFC events in history. 31 events. And all of those have come in the past year. It's crazy. And... If it wasn't for that, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Fight Island. Right. We wouldn't have... The UFC would have been struggling a lot more to get these events out the way they were. For us to get our MMA fill over 2020. Yeah, and you can kind of make your own bubble, per se, in Vegas. Whereas, you know, they started by traveling to Jacksonville and all this stuff. So, yeah, I love that point about the Apex. I think we're going to just see more and more of it. Dana's talking about building a hotel for fighters. They're going to have just this massive campus it, it, in vegas you, you can know? tell that dana wants so badly to just not depend on anybody but his own infrastructure yeah and you see that in these the performance institute the apex talking about making a hotel who knows what's next oh yeah it's crazy. soon you're gonna have ufc arenas around the world <laughs> yeah and they're only gonna be hosting events at their arenas yeah, like it's crazy it's, it's awesome and um well and to your extent not even in Vegas, but now we're seeing PIs in Mexico, yep. PIs in Shanghai, China. Yep. They're breach, branching out all over I, the world. That is a great point, yeah. and I didn't even think to bring that up, that the PI's influence on the globalization of the Huge, UFC. Humongous. You know, the UFC trying to become just a global phenomenon that it is, and 
really hit these markets. You know, China's been huge for them. Mm-hmm. Especially now. Yeah, and they, you know, they've been really wanting to hit, like, Mexico harder. Because mm-hmm. Mexico's always been big for boxing. And, and I guarantee you, with three African champions right now, we're going to see a PI in Africa some that would, point that would soon. Be, that would be incredible. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Russia would be on the yeah. list somewhere. Like, there's... It's just been huge for that aspect of the UFC trying to just globally become, you know, like how soccer is the yeah, global right. leader of sports. The UFC is right there, man. Yeah, it is. I love that. I love everything about that point. My fifth and final, and it kind of relates directly to what you were just talking about, so we're really bouncing and yeah. flowing here. Fight Island. Come yeah. on. Yeah. You, you guys might have seen it coming. It may not be fair to say because we're still going <clears> to <throat> keep using it even though we're in the Venom era now, yeah. but damn it. It was birthed during the Reebok era, so I had to say it. As Noah alluded to, the Apex was so huge during the COVID-19 pandemic, still technically. And um, then the birth of Fight Island comes about. We have to do international fights somewhere. We have to get international fighters uh, booked fights. Where else to do it than an island in Yas Island, Abu Dhabi, absolutely just amazing. They build this entire infrastructure around the UFC and the people over there in the UAE, so smart and so advanced and just ahead of the times, it seems, in Abu Dhabi. And the things that they were able to do for the UFC, Fight Island became this mythical being almost in the, the merchandise sales that we've talked about so many times for the UFC uh, I think in, like, July of 2020, they had already surpassed all of the previous year's merchandise <laughs> yeah, records, so I can't even imagine. the. It was probably shattered by the end of 2020, and and, and now they have the Eddie Hot Arena built in Yas Island, so we're going to get to have fans there, and it's just it's going to keep expanding, and that, that points more to the globalization as well that we've seen over the past six years with Reebok. So Fight Island was so cool. I mean, I got a freaking shirt hanging in the closet about it. And uh, it was so unique, and it really took the entire sports world, not just MMA world, but the entire sports world uh, by storm. Because when that had got announced, sports were not happening. And here's the UFC. Oh, yeah, we're going to start having fights again in Vegas. But by the way, we have a freaking island halfway across the world. We're going to make the best bubble ever. Hardly had any fight cancellations over there. Thousands and thousands of COVID tests and precautions. It's really, truly amazing what the UFC staff did and of the staff in Abu Dhabi really next level and I can't wait to see the future of fights in the UAE and damn it it'd be fun to take a trip over there one day to see a fight in Eddie Hot Arena it would it'd be hot oh it would be hot (laughs) um yeah you know what what I what really stuck with me is I as a kid you know I was a huge fan of like Mortal Kombat yeah and the announcement of Fight Island, it was the closest thing I could think of to like a real life Mortal Kombat. I thought they were just plopping fighters down on some beach in the middle of the ocean, and that was it. <laughs> it, it really, even though, sure, that it ended up being an arena. <laughs> yeah, like you didn't look any different yeah, when you were yeah. watching it. But the the all everything surrounding it, it really kind of hit me like in the you know my imagination. Like mm-hmm. I, I just let me go wild there. Yeah. Uh, like what this could be, and like sure, was it? I mean, was what was it ever? You were never going to see these guys just fighting in yeah. a hundred degree <laughs> heat out on the beach. But it made damn it, they made me believe it. Could hey, at least they put a cage out there for pictures. Yeah, I know. So it was a, uh, it, it really was a huge phenomenon in 2020. And 
sure as it kind of came back down to earth now because we're just so used to it and now we're kind yeah. of getting back into a groove with fans that are going to share, but it's hard not to to take anything away from that time period when it was first coming out. I mean, we, we dedicated a whole episode to looking back. At yeah, and the, and the documentary series about Fight Island yep. and on ESPN Plus is amazing. And we've even heard Dana say, you know, Fight Island might be a place where, you know, forget Vegas for International Fight Week. We're going to get really international and get, do Yas Island International Fight Week's pool parties and shit. Yeah. Like, it's just so cool what they've done over there. I think it, the relationship uh, between the UFC and the United Arab Emirates yeah. <laughs> uh, has just gotten stronger during this past Reebok era, you know, six years, but especially during 2020. And I think we're going to see a lot of big things out of that area. Going back to Noah's fourth point, don't be surprised if there's a PI placed in the UAE. Yeah. Uh, we've got tons of potential and great talents coming out of there. The brand new arena that seats thousands of people. Big things are coming. So uh, Fight Island to top off my list, my friend. So for one of mine, I wanted to focus more on like a specific fight or, you know, like how you had your Diaz-McGregor rivalry. Right. You know, I wanted I wanted something that focused more on a fighter, like the fighters themselves. And the reason why this is my most... My number five, it's the most recent to be finished off. The it's it's going to be overlooked probably for a lot of people over time for this era, but the rivalry that best encapsulates everything I love about the sport and this era as a whole: Stipe Miocic mm. versus Daniel Cormier, the trilogy, the trilogy of all, a trilogy that nobody probably ever expected to happen. You know, for Daniel Cormier, if you would have told me when I first started watching, that his defining trilogy in his career would be against Stipe yeah. and not John Jones. I would have said that was crazy. Yeah. But what I love about it so much is you have two guys who are two of the best fighters of all time, especially of their era. Yeah. And not only in each fight did it feel like you have the most prestigious crown, crown yeah. in MMA on the line and the heavyweight title, but you also had so much on the line legacy wise. Mm-hmm. These guys were literally scratching and clawing, trying to be in that kind of top ten, top five of all time. And there wasn't a lot of shit talking. It was literally just competitive. So much competitive. It was competitive like respect. Tension, yeah. That that respect, but the tension was there mm. because both guys knew what was on the line. And great human beings. Yep. You know? And you didn't want to see either of them lose. Oh. I mean, obviously, we... We were, really didn't we, want to we see... We were it. more... You know, we have that kind of connection to Stipe yeah. that makes us always root for him. But it was so hard to sit there and be, like, happy that DC yeah. lost. You yeah. know, you just couldn't do it. So, it's the trilogy that, in my opinion, like, when I'm thinking of this list for me, best summarizes everything I love about the sport. Yeah. And the way that the trilogy went. First fight, yep. DC knocks out Stipe. Second fight, Stipe comes back, knocks out DC. Third fight, five-round war. war. Yeah. Just, couldn't be better. You couldn't script it any better. Exactly. And that that's the reason why it's number five on my list. And, you know, when you're fighting for the heavyweight titles, too, you again, the crown jewel of MMA, the heavyweight champion, but then you get that label the baddest man on the planet. You're supposed to be that guy in combat sports, and it just makes everything that much more um, just 
heavy and just more important. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like No said, they're fighting to be top ten of all time. Uh, the baddest man on the planet, the champion. It's just the greatest heavyweight of yeah. all time. There were so many things that encapsulated that trilogy. It really was everything you wanted to I, see. I stand MMA. by this when we did our very first pay-per-view preview show. Our first preview show in general. Yeah. For UFC 252, I said, this was the the, the biggest title fight in UFC history. Mm-hmm. And I stand by that. When you talk about competitiveness, legacy, what they're fighting for, who these guys are in their careers. That third fight was... It, it was the... Best title. You fight. literally couldn't have more on the line. And that's fight, what I'm saying. It felt like you know, and one guy had to win. Yeah. Crazy. And obviously, Stipe winning doesn't hurt. Right. Right. <laughs> Putting this on my list, but it was you know some people maybe don't feel the same way, but it's it, I couldn't leave it off of here. I love it. Love it. So that's pretty much it. Oh, damn, we should just keep going. I know. <laughs> so that is uh, the end of going through our top moments of the UFC Reebok era. Let us know what some of your favorite moments Mm -hmm. of this era are. Leave us a voice message. You can do it. There's links in the link tree if you go to our socials. Um, You can leave up to a 60-second voice message. Let us know what your top moments are. We'll showcase it on Friday's episode. But, yeah, as for the rest of the week, Friday... We got a big recap or preview. <laughs> preview episode coming. I can't wait for the main event. Headline by a big fight at middleweight. Two years in the making. Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum. As you just stated, two years ago when Robert Whitaker was champ, Kelvin Gastelum was supposed to be his first official title yeah. defense. Um, Kelvin falls out, or no, Robert Rob falls, me, out. falls out. Um, now two years later, somehow, some way, the stars Paulo Costa falls yeah. out. Kelvin steps in. Now this fight's going to happen. Uh, very excited to talk about that one. Monday, we will be recapping all the action that takes place on Saturday. And then I'm going to go ahead and drop Why Wednesday. not? We got everything laid out. Yeah, it? so we have another special episode coming to you next Wednesday. So a week from when you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's going to be an episode dedicated. Being so topical. Yeah, it, it's definitely <laughs> topical. UFC 261 right around the corner. Headlined by three title fights. And I thought it would be fun. To look back at the history of three title fight cards. Yeah. There's been seven group. of them. Yeah. So that's probably more than some people would think, or maybe it's less. I don't know. But we're going to go through. It's a very interesting history. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be really fun to kind of go back, look at those cards, and look at kind of how they turned out. You know, how where did the fights live up to the hype? Did they not? Right. All that and everything in between. Be on the lookout for all that. But until then... Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. On Twitter, on Instagram, at Diesley14. Find the podcast, more importantly, on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA Podcast. Interact with us over there. Vote on the polls. Follow us. Like us. Comment on us. Build the community. The Joes. (laughs) The Joes. And the Joettes. (laughs) And as for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram, at ntbaker underscore you'll be taken to our link tree which gives you the links to all the platforms that the podcast is on along with social media platforms that includes the twitter the instagram the youtube channel and spotify google and apple podcast it's all on there baby and there's a couple links for the anchor page first leaving a voice message like i just mentioned if you have a thought about an upcoming fight a news story if you just want to say hi or tell us we're a piece of shit 
do it there. And there's a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That just provides us with a few dollars a month and all that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast, whether it be audio equipment or down the line doing a video podcast. So again, you can find all that if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at mtbaker underscore. But with that, we're out. We'll see you all on Friday.